Hello, everyone, and welcome to today's episode of Remedial Studies. Um, this is a very special episode. It's our year in review, um, not of the show, of course, because we've only been doing it for two months. Um, but we're going to be talking about some of the pop culture we consumed this year, what's been our favorites and why. We are going to attempt to stay on schedule. If you have been with us for the past two months, you know that's always a bit of an ordeal for us. Um, we like to pontificate here on remedial studies. Um, but me and Hannah, I think, going to have a lot of fun stuff to recommend to you today. What do you think? I think definitely. I know I got really excited about some stuff this year. Staying on topic is mostly an editing ordeal, I feel. <laughs> <laughs> that is true. <laughs> Hannah does um, pretty much all of the editing for the show, and she's kind of a wizard. There is probably black magic involved in the borderline abusive relationship you have with Audacity. Yes. And I'm I'm scared and impressed. What you don't know is that there's an Audacity demon. And I sold my soul to the Audacity demon. <laughs> that wouldn't surprise me, actually. <laughs> yeah, editing is something I really enjoy. But at the same time, it's like, oh, no, this has to be done so that it can go out. <laughs> Yeah, so we can go out into the world. Editing aside, we didn't talk about who's going who's going first. That's true. Uh, do you want to go first, my dear? Sure. These are in sort of an order, but also I have really a hard time like picking favorites or like truly best. These are probably just things that made a deep impression on me this year. But but my first choice is monstrous by Marjorie Liu, who did the story, and I am hoping I'm pronouncing both of their names right, and Sana Takeda, who did the art. Uh, so it's a graphic novel series. It's a truly a beautiful, beautiful comic. The art in it has been described as art deco, steampunk. They say it's set in an alternate Asia. It's mostly about women, really, uh, most of the characters are women. There are not a lot of men. That's refreshing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but it's it's just beautiful. The art in it is truly breathtaking. It focuses on this young woman who is an arcanic. And there are people who, like, have these a people who have these magical... Kind of, they're kind of fairies. Kind of, like, I'm not 100% sure. There's a lot of manga influences in it. So there's kind of, like, fox people... So some of them, some of these arcanics look like people. Other of them look like, you know, cat, fox people or tiger people. <laughs> and they're more like animal. But it follows this one young woman, make a half wolf. And she has this essentially an ancient evil monster living inside of her with an insatiable appetite. So it's a horror fantasy. And it kind of follows her and like her attempts to control this power and the Arcanics are on the verge of war with the non-Arcanics because the it turns out that the Arcanics, their bones give the non-Arcanics like, it's like an elixir of life type situation. I Ooh. think I'm remembering that correctly. There's just a lot of world building and mythology. And it, it's, it's very, it can be very grisly. Like there's a lot of body horror 
and tentacles and just all kinds of stuff going on. In true manga style. But it's tentacles at, by women, so it's not... So it's tasteful tentacles. They're tasteful tentacles. It's not, I'm gonna hentai this shit tentacles. Yeah, it's not, it's not gross tentacles. And there's also this moral ambiguity that runs throughout. Like, you're never really sure who's in the right and, like, what the right side to be on is. And I find that very interesting and refreshing because I feel like a lot of the time we try to break that down into black and white and a lot of the media we consume because we're trying to escape from the reality of our world, which is that there's a lot of gray and there's a lot of is this the right thing or isn't it the right thing or maybe it's the right thing for some people, but did you think about these other people? I think part of fiction is escaping from that, but this kind of embraces it and says, Here's a here's a way to look at this world through this fantastical, beautiful, mythological lens that kind of makes it easier to deal with those questions. It sounds a lot like in the same kind of storytelling style as like um, Hayao Miyazaki, which I'm very into. And in the whole like magical realism and magical setting kind of helping tell stories about real problems in a way that's more palatable and is still kind of escapist. Does that make sense? Yes. Uh, the, the violence and just the horror are are way up there. Like, there were times where I kind of had to, like, swallow real hard because it can get pretty gnarly. It can get pretty grisly. Yeah, it can get. So if that's not your jam, uh, do, do avoid. <laughs> <laughs> but otherwise... And it has, like, the best fantasy cats ever. That's very important to me. I think Neil Gaiman, like, is quoted on the second volume as being like, these fantasy cats are the greatest. And it won the the (laughs) second volume won a Hugo. Nice. Okay. What is it called again? Monstrous? That sounds bitchin'. So it's like a, it's a play on monstrous and, like, that she's, you know, it's, it's kind of a pun. Oh, I like it. That's my first pick. Tell me, tell me about your first pick. Okay, um, I think my first pick. I'm gonna go with my first pick that probably I definitely consumed probably the most of this year, and I think had the biggest influence on me was Terry Pratchett's Discworld series, which you actually recommended to me. Low many years ago. I'm on a mission (laughs) to (laughs) indoctrinate everyone that I meet. Hannah's superpower that I continually resist because I am, like, compelled to read these books in publication order is to pick which strand of the Discworld novels a person will like best. She is convinced I will love The City Guard the most, which is the next, the first book, Guards, Guards, is the next book I have to read. But I read uh, the first seven books in publication order. Um, But the way Discworld is structured is pretty cool, is... It's a bunch of interlocking, interconnected storylines that all take place in the same universe. On the same planet? Yes, mostly. Mostly. It is, the, the disc world is just that. It's a disc that's on the back of elephants, on the back of Artuin, the great turtle, and they're just going through space. It is delightfully zany and wacky, but Terry Pratchett, I think, really shines his, like, an English national treasure <laughs> because all of his books similar to his friend Neil Gaiman have a great 
heart of something that is serious and real, like under the fantasy. Um, My favorite book out of the seven I read this year was probably Mort, which is the first death book. Death is a character and he's great. Um, But the book is about a young man named Mort who is apprenticed to death because he like, doesn't he like come late on Hog's Watch night and everyone else is already paired off and he has I no one left. I think I remember that a lot of these are, are very fuzzy because there are so many of them. Yeah, I think there's like 41 if, at minimum, I think is the account I had, but um, Mort is apprenticed to death and over the course of the book sort of becomes death until death proper slaps him out of it. But there's a lot to be said in this book about history and our effects on it or the lack of effect people can have. There's a line, I don't remember if it's exactly, so I'm going to paraphrase it. Men don't change history any more than birds can change the sky. They just make patterns in it for a while. And I'm like, what the fuck, Terry? Like, I can't. (laughs) deal with this right now and there was another moment that really got me in that book when Mort is kind of at he's in training goes into the field to shadow um, a couple of deaths for the night and death ends up killing or he arrives to escort the soul of a king who has been assassinated and Mort is reasonably very very upset by this and he says so and he's like you know where's the justice and blah 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 And death is like, there is no justice. There's just me. (laughs) Oh, gosh. And the second part of that conversation, when he's talking to Mort, he's like, you know, I would, it basically says, you know, I'd be more concerned if you didn't care. But you need to understand what compassion is in your profession. And it's a sharp blade. And there's like, it's shit like that, because there's just goofs upon goofs upon goofs in every Discworld novel, especially I think the Rincewind novels, because poor Rincewind (laughs) is just a a bamboozling fool who he can't do magic very well, even though he's a wizard. He can't really do much of anything except get himself into situations. And then some miraculously, usually through the help of a competent woman, (laughs) get himself out of things but but it is it is this weird and wonderful world it was one of those things that i heard about and i know you talked with me about it before and i was like okay (laughs) like like it it, like the concept of it sounds so weird and then you read it and you just get it like my mom did that too this year because i've been pawning them (laughs) off on her once i'm done yes spread the gospel spread the gospel of terry pratchett far and wide the other book out of the seven i read I read up through Pyramids, which is a standalone book. There's not many of those. You can really read series. them in any order. So in a sense, they're all standalone. But I think certain arcs go together. It's it's very strange. I actually didn't read them in any particular order. I read them completely at random. I actually started with The Hog Father. Isn't that a death book? It is. That was my first Terry Pratchett book. But I love the death books. I think they're my favorites so far. But it, it it is nice that I found a series this year with your help that you're laughing on one page and I have cried multiple times reading the next. It is crazy. Sorcery. You remember I texted you throughout all that. Yeah, Sorcery fucked me up. a lot. <laughs> it's a lot. But it is it is a daunting 
pile but like hannah said you can kind of read it in any order i'm doing the one that's the hardest on myself because that's me there's the witches series the wizard series the rinseman series excuse me the death series the city guard and there's another one but it's farther down the line from where i'm at it's the one going postals in it's like the industrial age or something he does a whole series of books that are essentially the industrial revolution comes to Discworld. Ooh, yes. I've not gotten to that yet, but I'm looking forward to it. You will really like that main character, I feel like. Isn't his name? Yeah, it's Ludwig von Moist. No, it's Moist von Ludwig. Moist von Ludwig. Like his first name is Moist. Maybe that's why. I just didn't want to believe that someone's first name was Moist, but look at the series we're talking about. Yeah. All right, but that was my number one. Excellent. That was an excellent choice. I have a I have another excellent choice if I do say I believe so you. Myself. So this this album albums album and EP, you know, they came the album I'd came say out albums in twenty fifteen. And the next one came out in twenty sixteen. But I just found them this year. But we did we did not hear the gospel until this yes. year. I'm re- I'm talking about emotion and emotion side B by Carly Rae Jepsen. <sighs> I understand that's not immediately apparent to people who don't know us, but uh, I don't even know how to explain my fixation on this album, other than I listened to a playlist of emotion and emotion side B on repeat for something like a month straight. That's real, though, because I'm pretty sure if I look in my phone, because I have an iPhone, so, like, everything I put, like, everything I buy in iTunes just gets put on the front page whenever I open music. I'm pretty sure they're not that far down. No. I don't think I've bought a lot of music since I bought those albums. Yeah, I have been doing that more with albums since I've gotten older, which is I, I will just put them on repeat and listen to them ad nauseum like i did that with the new panic at the disco album same but like there's something about these albums i feel like they go together perfectly like i i understand that she couldn't put like 32 songs on an album or whatever please carly ray please do that they're just so there's something flirtatious and like just super feminine but without being like toxic about it Every song in the, not every song in the album is like this, but there's so many songs that are about the cusp of a relationship. Like, you're not actually in the relationship. Yeah. You're just on that edge. And I feel like that space is so thin, but it's often, like, people talk about how, like, that's really the exhilarating part, and then the rest of the relationship is actual work. So I feel like the, these albums really explore that and all the different flavors and like some of them are unrequited some of them are like escapist some of them are really like kind of sexy and some of them are like what went wrong like roses and cry which i just (laughs) oh roses and cry (laughs) my favorite song off emotion side b is probably store I, I do wonder sometimes why I Really Like You was the single off of that album. I know. I wonder if it was because it sounded the most like Call Me Maybe. Yeah, I, I'm sure that was it, but the, that album is so much more than that song. Even Why Not Boy Problems. Boy Problems. Strong. So strong. <laughs> Boy pro- Let's Get Lost. Making the Most of the Night. I Didn't Just Come Here to Dance. <laughs> oh. But boy problems, 
I wonder if it's because it's really about female friendship being more important than like a romantic relationship. Yeah, that's that's probably it. Is that a problem for people? I don't know. I think so. I think, well, I mean, I think that's that's perceived as a problem. And because it's perceived as a problem, like people like speak it into existence. Yes. I don't know. But I really enjoy that song. Yeah, Emotion to Emotions I'd Be are, are my second choice for this episode. Excellent choices. You know I support them. <laughs> All right. My second one. My next two are, um, if case you, this is your first remedial studies episode and you made it this far. Congratulations. <laughs> but in our past episodes, we have joked that we are contractually obligated by Wizards of the Coast to talk about Dungeons and Dragons in every episode that we do. For spoiler alert, this is one such episode. Um, so my first of the, there's two D&D related things that I want to talk about. Um, I'll only do one at a time though. The first one is a podcast by the brothers and father McElroy. It's called The Adventure Zone and it is difficult to describe. Uh, It started kind of as a joke. Like it started as an episode on, uh, the three brothers, Griffin, Justin, and Travis McElroy, on their podcast, My Brother, My Brother and Me, they did a one-shot uh, with their dad, where Griffin was the dungeon master, and 5th edition had just come out, and it was just, like, a fun thing to do. And then they got, like, really super into it, and people were so responsive to it that they ended up making their own show, The Adventure Zone. Um, they wrapped up their first campaign a few months ago, and it is one of the most astonishingly real and authentic and fun pieces of media i've ever like had almost it felt like almost a privilege to watch it in real time but it is astonishingly good and i think part of it is a lot of people who know what dungeons and dragons is or who have either played it before a lot of people have very strong opinions on what D&D should be. I think we've gotten away from that probably in the past few years. I know we don't really do that in our game. I try not to. We really like our character-driven narratives. <laughs> yeah, like like we do. We had a um cuz I remember the 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 lovely two girls in our group whose house we play at. One of them, her boyfriend also lives there and he also plays D&D. I think he plays 3.5 and I remember she she gives him like a a play-by-play of everything that happens in all the sessions and he i remember one time he made some comment he's just like it's almost like you're not even playing the same game like (laughs) which is one of the things i think that's really fun about D &D. and like the adventure zone i think is really good because while i think griffin and travis had played before they didn't really none of them had ever played any kind of campaign griffin had never dungeon mastered before so to not come into it with those preconceptions of like everything has to be like rules lawyery and like you all have to do this like high fantasy and really serious. I think that was really good for the show in the long run and it turned from being this kind of ding dong podcast where like it's just them bumbling through this adventure <laughs> to the whole moral of the campaign at the end of at the end of the finale which made me cry like a baby. In, the, in a Chipotle parking lot for 20 <laughs> minutes is that love and hope 
and kindness will always win over darkness. Oh, I just, I started listening to this this year too. I'm not, I haven't finished the first campaign yet. I got, I where even am I? Yeah, oh. where are you? They are trying, I got to the episode where they are trying to steal car parts. Oh, you're on pedals to the metal. Yeah, I'm on pedals to the metal. I'm like, I have been listening to this at work and I laugh out loud during work. And my team lead was like, what are you giggling about? Like I was sitting at my desk. I know. Running test cases and like chortling gently to myself i've done because i've done that too i think my i think a lot of why i really like the show is i really like the mcelroys Mm -hmm. because they are genuinely kind and genuinely funny people yes like they're hilarious even like the characters that kind of started as a joke like justin and who's the oldest brother and like clint who's their dad like they kind of made their characters talk of the wizard and Merle the cleric kind of like you know they, they they think they took them off of like the stock characters that came with the starter set when fifth edition first came out and and it is it is so inspiring to me as a player and as a dm to see people get so into it because i remember when we started playing D, that was my worst fear <laughs> like i knew you were going to be into it i knew at least like one other person in our group was going to be into it for sure but the other three people, I was like, we'll see. <laughs> and now everybody is just like into the story and into the characters. And I think the Adventure Zone especially just really kind of shows that D&D is such a fun way to write and act out like the collaborative storytelling sort of history that we have as like overall like species wide culture. Yes. Like I, I always like I joke that like oral history is still alive today in radio dramas and dungeons and dragons but like it's kind of true no i think so i mean yeah that makes sense but it was a very enjoyable listen there and it all and it ended exactly on episode 69 of course the sex number (laughs) of course griffin mcelroy put out a two and a half hour long episode just so he wouldn't have to not end on 69 i am certain That had a very lovely and profound effect on me this year. So that was why it's my number two. Excellent. Do you want to hear about my third choice? Yes. Everyone knows, and by everyone, I mean Rachel, (laughs) knows that I'm super into YA fairy tale retellings. I have no shame. You cannot make me feel shame, and I will fight you. Uh, So I discovered the a Court of Thorns and Roses series by Sarah J. Moss this year. I mean, I'm, I'm only in the middle of the first book, but it's like pretty fucking radical. Yeah, it's it's basically there's this girl, Feyre, in the first one, and she, you know, there's a wall. There's always a wall in fantasy books. I don't know if you've noticed that, but like I've started noticing. So anyway, there's a there's a wall between her land and the land of the fairies, which is this evil, cruel, beautiful race that she's, that's what she's heard anyway. And like, they're the reason that their lives are terrible or something. Anyway, she accidentally on purpose kills a fairy in the woods. This isn't like first chapter. Don't at me. Yeah, this is literally on like the second page. Yeah. 
Uh, so she accidentally, on purpose, kills a fairy in animal form out in the woods. And the fairy that she killed, his lord and master, comes out and basically is like, a life for a life, you have to come back to fairyland with me and live with me because you killed this guy. Hijinks ensue. Uh, it's basically a Beauty and the Beast retelling. Yeah, because isn't it, it's, it's the, like, this is, of course, a Beauty and the Beast variation in its original form. Isn't it, the, it's the story of Tamlin. Yes. Isn't the, it? The main, the, the main fairy lord dude that takes her over to Fairyland, his name is Tamlin, which is, I had not, I did not put two and two together until you were like, Tamlin, and I'm like, ah, yeah. Yeah, because Tamlin <laughs> is an old fairy tale. Yes. Yeah, so it's the first one is a pretty pretty traditional. The second one is my favorite, and I cannot talk about it because if I'm I... sorry, <laughs> it's I... all my fault. No, it's okay. I just <laughs> when you get there, there will be a lot of screeching. Uh, I just I really love this series. It can be sexy. I mean, it's I was surprised it was YA because it's like it's pretty sexy. It's, like, really sexy. <laughs> I'm not mad about it, but I remember, because there's the part that I'm at. I'm going to try to be vague, because I do really recommend this series, y'all, even though it's taking me 900 years to read it. The part I'm at, like, there's a plot point that involves, like, a fertility rite that involves some sexual hunting and catching. <laughs> and it's, like, pretty damn explicit. Yeah. I'm not mad, but, like... I didn't know that they were putting that stuff in YA lit nowadays. Yeah, I'm like, this is fine because I'm 25 and 26 when I read these because the most recent one came out this year, um, the third in the series. And I guess the, yes. they're narrated from Feyre, who is the main protagonist, the girl that gets taken over to fairy. They're from her perspective, but I guess there's going to be more books in the series, but this, the first three are going to be from her perspective, and then there will be other perspectives going forward. Mm -hmm. I don't know what that looks like. I don't know who that is. I'm nervous, but also maybe it's going to be Lucian. He's got some stuff going on. I know you really like him. I hope it's Lucian. I really like Lucian. (laughs) I did not. I know that's going to hurt me. At some point, though, isn't it? Oh, girl, <laughs> I I'm can't. not. I'm not ready. You're you're really not. Uh. <laughs> That's my winter project is to catch up on these books. Yeah, they're just they're really imaginative retelling of of the other one is a retelling of a different thing, but I'm not going to say what it is because I'm I know for sure that it will spoil things, and I will be mad, but. Anyway, I just and then the third one isn't a retelling. It's but I don't like it as much. But it was still really good. I read it while I was on vacation. Anyways, what what else have you got? Let's talk about that. <laughs> my next thing, I'll talk about my second D and D thing. Just so they can kind of get put together because they kind of I have a lot of similar things to say about this. But if you are if you follow me on Tumblr, this will be no surprise. My third pick of the year was Critical Role. Wins the award for most hours I've consumed this year. Critical Role is a D&D actual play show that Geek and Sundry streams on their Twitch channel every Thursday at 7 p.m. Pacific. It is DM'd by Matthew Mercer and has a cast of fellow voice actors 
who I believe they played for two or three years before they even started streaming the show. It's stunning. <laughs> like, I cannot think of a way to describe it that is not going to make it sound really boring because watching people roll dice shouldn't be entertaining. I remember when I was really, really trying to catch up, um, they just ended their la- their first full campaign, which took, yeah, they've been on Geek and Sundry for at least two and a half, almost three years, and they just finished their campaign. Everybody got to level 20. They're starting their new campaign on the 11th. I don't have a countdown at all. It kind of had a similar thing the Adventure Zone kind of had where it had Matt Mercer and Griffin McElroy are two very good and very different examples of how you can handle D&D because Matt is very much, I always saw him very much as like the architect. Like he has his plan and he's really good at world building. Like he wrote his own campaign setting, which we're using for our home game now. And it's super fun. There's so much to this story. But I remember this one text post I saw. That was like, there's two kinds of DMs in the world. And one of them was the time that Travis on Adventure Zone did the thing with the train where he's like, I'm going to tie this rope to a table and I'm going to levitate and I'm going to run down the train and I'm going to kick in this door. And Griffin's like, okay, roll to see if it works. And then Matt's section is Sam Regal who plays the bard in their group asking what time it is and Matt telling him to roll a survival check. (laughs) I think I fall more in the Matt category because I think making you guys roll arbitrary checks to see if anything happens are fun. Yes. (laughs) But sometimes things happen and we're like, no! Yeah, sometimes things happen and it's like, oh. But Critical Role, I think, think is really good because it it shows really what similarly to Adventure Zone, what D&D really is. And that's collaborative storytelling. I make like the skeleton of the story, but you guys really make the meat of it. And you guys are are a huge part of it. Like we wouldn't have done half the shit we did when we ran the Curse of Strahd module. If you guys had played any kind of different characters or if you'd made different decisions, like it's so fun. And I really, I'm going to probably get a little bit misty here, but like I really do think... Like, this game has brought us closer together as friends. I 100% agree. Like, we are so emotionally invested in each other's characters. And as a result, like, those characters are a reflection of us and what's important to us. So I feel like it's it's a different and interesting, unconventional, maybe a better word, way to, like, bond with someone. But yeah, so so crit roll I think is is good. It's four hours an episode. Oh, it's so much. It's four hours an episode. The campaign that they just ran is 115 episodes long. That is something I have heard people not be kind of scared to get into it because it is a lot of content. Personally, I believe in starting at the beginning because there's a lot of stuff like with the way Matt tells the story. There's a lot of things that happen in the first arc even though it's kind of sketchy as far as like quality, because they were just starting out, obviously. Like once it hits like, I think episode like 25, 27, if you really, really want to skip ahead, I'd jump in there. No further or you will not have any fucking clue what's going on. (laughs) It is a wonderful story. And it's a, you get to see in real time, both in game and 
in their real lives, this group of people like become a family. And that and that really affected me this year. But yeah, that was my third thing. Um, let's move on to your number four. Oh man, we're it's coming down coming down to the wire now. Mm-hmm. So my second thing, or I'm sorry, it's I, I did them like five to one, so I mean my fourth thing. Uh, <laughs> my fourth <laughs> thing is what is yours is not yours. It's a short story collection by Helen Oyeyemi. She is wonderful. I worked through not all of her backlist this year, but I read a lot of it. I read Mr. Fox in not this year, but the year before last. And this year I read uh, Boy Snow Bird, which is a novel. It is a Snow White retelling. Oh. And I also read White is for Witching, which I would say is a contemporary gothic romance novel. A lot of the contemporary gothic romance novels I've seen, like on lists, are from the 70s and 80s. But this is this is from this decade, so. Ooh, I'm going to have to read that. I want, yeah, yeah, highly recommended. Um, but what is, but basically, like, I love her and I, like, wanted to something by her. And I think this came out most recently. I think if you like Neil Gaiman, you would really mm-hmm. like her. But there's something, what is yours is not yours, um, centers around thematically the idea of keys and locks. And a lot of the characters um, show up in each other's stories. And the stories are just amazing. And the titles are so good. Like this is, um, the title of this story is, Is Your Blood As Red As This? And it is a story about what is basically a puppeteer high school. So it's an art school where kids go to learn to be puppeteers. Mm-hmm. And the puppets are sort of alive. And it's it's about like teenage relationships. And also there's some stuff about gender identity in there just teenage drama but heightened and magical because these puppets are sentient and maybe demons it sounds delightful like i'm loving everything you're putting down right now yes my favorite story and the one that just shook me to my core is presence which is about this couple they are psychologist or he's a psychologist and their relationship is sort of in a weird place and like are they gonna get a divorce like they they keep leaving rooms as soon as the other person comes into the room they just don't know what's gonna happen with their relationship but he proposes a an experiment like he wants to try out this drug vapor thing that he's developing as part of his psychology stuff and she agrees so they go into separate houses they have an apartment, and he stays at the house, and they basically co-hallucinate from different locations the son that they don't have, but maybe they could have had. What? Yes. I, that's, oh my god, that's hurtful. Yes, so that story, like, I had, I was profoundly emotional about that. She's been described as whimsical, but, like, at the same time, it's sort of like the thing that we keep talking about where there's something that she's saying that's so important. Mm-hmm. And and maybe sometimes it's about the structure of stories, but other times there's a story about a teenage girl who her, and this is so relevant right now, it comes out that her, her favorite pop star that she's like in love with in the way that teenage girls are in love with pop stars. Yeah. It comes out that he's 
like severely beaten a woman. The woman he beats posts a video to YouTube and there's all that dialogue around that like oh he's 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 struggling with drugs and he's such a great artist and like his fiance forgave him and and he apologized but the teenage girl actually hexes him. Bitchin. Proper measures were taken. I just thought that it was so of course that's the appropriate response to that. Why didn't I think of that? I just I'm in love with it. You should read it at the end. Goodbye. Absolutely. I'm I mean like I'm just like scribbling down Rex at this point. <laughs> yes. It's she's wonderful. Read everything by her. So anyway, what what do you got? Uh my number four. Yes. Was the most recent addition to this list. Um, because it's the thing I the thing I saw most recently. I, in true English major fashion, am a subscriber to a local theater company um, in the Northeast Ohio area, um, the Great Lakes Theater Company. It used to be called the Great Lakes Shakespeare Company. They are a part of the, like, Playhouse Square family. Um, Every season, they do usually one musical, one straight play, and then they do two Shakespeare plays. They do a comedy and a tragedy, usually. This year, they are sticking to that model. But this fall, they did A Midsummer Night's Dream. But I feel like I kind of sound like a broken record when I talk about, like, I do genuinely 100% love Shakespeare. I think for some people that's, like, some people are annoying (laughs) 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 in how much they're like, like, I'm not one of those people that's like, I, I try very hard not to be one of those people that's like, saying anybody is like the last true author or whatever and like decry modern literature because like, fuck that shit you're not special shakespeare even when i was like in high school like i've always had a bit of a soft spot for it the first i've seen this play done twice by this company which tells you how long i've been subscribed to it last time i saw it was so funny and it's so weird to me how you can take a 500 year old play and make it sound like it was written yesterday it was hilarious and part of it is because Great Lakes is, is a wonderful company and they get such good actors who love their material. I think that really is part of it is you have to just love it. Like, I think that's why Kenneth Branagh's Hamlet from the 90s is my favorite Hamlet because he's like the biggest Shakespeare fanboy. But it reminded me a lot this year that I, I there's a quote. Um, I will probably reblog it to the Tumblr because it, I found it on a Tumblr post. It is somewhere in the thousands upon thousands of pages on my blog. Someone was talking to a uh, a friend of theirs who, like, I think she was a Shakespeare. She was either getting her doctoral. Um, she was doing her doctoral thesis on Shakespeare or she was a professor who taught Shakespeare. Which, spoiler alert, that's like my career goal um, <laughs> is... That's why I'm suffering through so much college. But she asked her, you know, how much do you know about Shakespeare? And this woman's response was not as much as he knows about me. Oh, man, that's a lot. <laughs> I know. And there's there was a part of me that like, not a joke, not a goof, like felt really touched by that. And about how we sort of poke fun here at Remedial Studies at capital C Classic Literature just because a lot of it is just there to be there. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of it was because they did it in modern dress, where like they had the one plot, the, the young rich people in love and their problems. Like they all have iPhones and they all are dressed in like Gucci and they're trying to go camping in like a hoodie with like a fucking snapback. <laughs> and like all this 
other shit where they're so clearly just these bumbling kids who are totally unprepared for anything the world has to offer them. And then you have like the world of like Oberon's court is all like rock and roll and leather and there's black feathers on everything. Um, and then you have like Titania's court, which was all very flowery and very, very femme and very fancy. But all of like the players, the second, no, the third like subplot, <laughs> which is these people just trying to put on a goddamn play. I forgot that this play is insane. <laughs> this play is insane. There's there's three subplots that all come together at the end. But it's all these guys, like these working class dudes in like plaid and jeans and big trucker hats. There was a joke about like, hey Siri, how do I find moonlight? Like all this <laughs> other crap. But there's one line in Midsummer Night's Dream that I, I take with me in a lot of things that I do in the grand style of sometimes the most, I hate this word, but profound Shakespeare shit is the simplest. The line in Midsummer Night's Dream when they talk and they're kind of talking about the play is take pains, be perfect. And I take that with me a lot. And I want to take that with me into 2018. That's the goal. Take pains, be perfect. It's a, it's a high goal. <laughs> it is a high goal. But uh, I, th I think the reason Shakespeare survives to this day is because people love it and they love it enough to want to show why they love it to other people. I think that's pretty much it. Like that, that that's why I want to teach it mm -hmm. is because I'm so passionate about it. And a lot of the and there was the, the professor who he taught you canonicity. He taught me Shakespearean tragedy is like a big influence on me because of that, because he's like that. Yes. And he, like, gets that it's not high literature. Yes. Like, <laughs> William Shakespeare would deck you in the face if you tried to tell him that he either wasn't funny. Because <laughs> he'd be like, do you know how many dick pages I put on a page? And that it's supposed to be, like, this highbrow literature that's only for the upper crust. And I'm like, no, man. If you're not reading Shakespeare and imagining, like, a mosh pit of people who throw rotten vegetables at you and just to see what you'll do. Like, you're not imagining it correctly. So that was, um, that's why it's kind of my number four is because it, it, it wasn't something that I was introduced to newly this year, but it was something that was rejuvenated for me this year. Yeah, something Shakespeare and something D&D &D will probably always be on your list. Yeah, that's <laughs> like, those were like my two things this year were Shakespeare and D&D. &D. Oh, but those are such good things. I have another good thing. Yes, we're coming in to the final stretch. Yes. So my final choice to top off the year yes. is Born by Jeff Vandermeer. So you might know Jeff Vandermeer from the Southern Reach trilogy. Uh, he's mm -hmm. most known for those books. But Born is a novel that came out this year. Uh, and I was really excited to read it because... The synopsis is insane. So I'm going to give you the synopsis and you will understand. It is set in a post-apocalyptic world where everyone goes out and how they live is they scavenge uh, genetically bioengineered things, potentially, from, from the landscape that just... It's always referred to as the company. Something went horribly wrong at the company and now they live in this post-apocalyptic city where they have to scavenge everything. The main thing why everything went wrong is because there's a giant flying bear named Mord. 
<laughs> and there's oh, no. a bunch of tiny, not tiny mords, but like regular sized bears that like run around and, and ravage the countryside. And this woman named Rachel, she goes out and she's scavenging. And she scavenges this little sea anemone shaped thing off of Mord. It's stuck in his fur. You know, she thinks maybe it's a plant, maybe it's not, but it turns out that it's sentient. And she names it Born and basically raises it. People are saying that Jeff Vandermeer is inventing a new genre, which I kind of give a heavy side eye. Like, it's wonderful, but they're, <sighs> but they're calling it weird fiction, which is, I think, sort of, it's almost like a, a science fiction magical realism. But I think it's, I think it is a kind of movement that we're seeing, but I'm used to seeing it called speculative fiction. Right, that, that that's the language I would be used to, too. I think it's much older than Jeff Vandermeer, but I think he's going to be recognized as, like, one of the mature, full expression of the genre. I don't know about calling it weird fiction. I feel like it can fall under that speculative fiction umbrella. Right. But it's just so good, and it's something I really like about sci-fi and one of the themes that I really enjoy is this question of like what is sentience? What is what is consciousness? What does that what does it mean to be human? Coming at it from the angle of when does something non human become a person? Oh. Oh man. Yeah, that's what this book is, is really about because as time goes on, Rachel, even though she loves Born like a child, they fundamentally can't understand each other because born isn't human and she can't make him human Mm -hmm. there's something both scary and just utterly heart-wrenching the question that it raises and this honestly reminds me of a poem and i looked it up because i wanted to know who wrote it but there's a poem by a person named caitlin seal i i'm sorry if i'm pronouncing your name wrong i'm trying And it's actually written about the brothers in Supernatural, but I feel like everyone quotes it. (laughs) I feel like, you know, it's when is a monster? When is a monster not a monster? Oh, when you love it. When you love it. It's a classic. It's in the internet canon. But I, I think that that question is at the crux of this book is when is a monster not a monster? And is when you love it enough? And you know, I'm all about that shit like that's (laughs) that is i i mean that's one of the reasons i know that quote is because i love that concept and thinking about stuff like that because you know and dear listeners you know i am a very big fan of gothic romance and monster fiction and that's in, in a more literal sense what gets handled in that you know me we'll do the episode eventually about crimson peak because I think you could apply, like, love makes monsters of us all and, like, what that means in conjunction with that sentiment. But, like, that's... I'm interested to see where this goes. My whole thinking is, is that nothing's ever really new. Like, we can make new combinations of things, which I think is probably what people are getting at. Like, that combo of science fiction and magical realism that isn't quite speculative fiction. Yes. I'm very interested to see where that goes because it sounds super cool. And super interesting. Do you want to do your final pick? I would love to. The last thing that I chose to sort of round out my year for personal context, uh, in my advanced age of 25, 
I have had more and more trouble um, being able to focus on a page, but I've been making the shift to listening to more audiobooks. Um, but this next book is one that I listened to and sort of followed along with the book, and I'm glad I did it. It's Illuminae by Amy Kaufman and Jay Kristoff. It's the first in a trilogy called The um, Illuminae Files, and it is breathtakingly awesome. I was very happy I listened to it because it is told through a dossier of documents. So they have a full cast of different actors who play the different characters. But it focuses on the way the books are kind of structured. They each focus on a pair of teenagers. It's YA lit, by the way. Nice. It focuses on Katie Grant and Ezra Mason, who are living on this tiny little planet on the edge of the universe. It takes place in the year 2575. So hum humanity has made its way to space. And we've discovered like hyperjump travel and all this awesome like science stuff. And from what I remember when I did a little bit more research on it, the science is pretty well researched. Like it's still fiction. It's not like hard sci-fi. Like I wouldn't put it in that category, but I also don't know. I don't think I would know much to make a call if it was or not without doing more research. It's like firm sci-fi but there's some give firm sci-fi with some give i would definitely give it that but in 20 in 2575 this planet is being fought over by two rival mega corporations and one day um i believe it's Bytech is the corporation that attacks and essentially eviscerates this planet so that it can get at the minerals and resources that are on it with little to no regard for the people living on it so that is the first page of the story is it, it opens with a transcript of an interview with Ezra and Katie who had broken up that morning when oh. they went to go to high school. <gasps> I can't. It's so fucking good. It is the story of how they are on the ship is it takes place entirely on a spaceship and their hyperdrive has been damaged, so they can't jump. And they are, in essence, stranded in space. Ugh. And Bytech is coming after them, only a few days behind as far as space travel goes. It's very old school adventure of, like, you have to get away from this big enemy. But uh, the, the big sort of plot jump that starts at the beginning is the captain of the ship conscripts everybody to do something on the ship ezra gets pulled into being um what's essentially like like how luke skywalker gets pulled into being a pilot in the in the rebellion in star wars like that's his job um that he ends up being super good at and then like katie works in she's really good at hacking so she works in like it and maintaining the 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 character that stole the entire book for me also in classic very Hal 9000 fashion, um, the AI that runs ah. the ship. His name is Aiden. Yes. His sections, I think, are my favorite because he is really shown as a narrator. Like he, in his mind, he's the narrator of his own story. And he forms this relationship with Katie. Delightful. I think I really liked about it was that he never stops being a machine. Mm -hmm. like he has a sense of self that is built into him but that he did not choose and he probably wouldn't have chosen for himself oh man because now he under he can understand their emotions 
which is horrible. It does a lot with page design because it is a dossier of documents. So it's like schematics, IMs between two workers who are just trying to dick around while they're waiting for their shift to end, combat logs. Aiden has his own internal log that he keeps. But the one of the things that I saw that was really, really cool was when they do fights that take place outside of the spaceship, it runs off like the different logs for all the different pilots. The different lines, because they're all happening at once, obviously, everyone's talking at once, fly through the page almost like they're following the course of the pilot that they belong to. And they all run over each other. Interesting. It makes it a lot more immersive, I feel. That that variation in design helps to kind of reinforce the variation of sources that are involved in this story. And by extension, the variation of narratives Mm. that are involved in the story. But it is very good. I think a lot of the reviews were like, you know, it's so unique and stuff. And I'm like, it, it's unique to me because it, it embraces a lot of real old school sci-fi conventions and storylines. Like there's a deadly plague that breaks out on the ship nice. where they're trying to find a cure. One of the most awesome and horrifying moments in the book is when you realize you're reading the diary of a doctor who is slowly succumbing oh. to this plague. Oh, they got me. They got my whole number. They know my whole brain. So many really, really good quotes are in this book. But the one quote that I that kind of stuck with me from this book is, The universe owes you nothing, Katie. It has already given you everything, after all. It was here long before you, and it will, be, it will go on long after you. The only way it will remember you is to do something worth remembrance. Ooh. I know, ma'am. And that's a lot. Of what the book ends up being about. And what I I hope, what it sounds like the next two books, because the second book is out now. It's called Gemini. And the third book is coming out in March. Oh. And it is called Obsidio. It is so, so good. It's 600 pages long. I read it in like (laughs) two days. You, You just burn through it. It's so good. I really do think it is a testament to how good those two authors are. But that was um, the last recommendation I had for this year. All right, guys, that's going to wrap us up for our year in review episode here at Remedial Studies. Rachel and I have been so delighted. I think about the start of the show and it's just been a really fun time. We love hanging out with each other and with you. We hope that you liked it. If you want to talk to us more or at all. (laughs) Hint, hint, dear listeners, uh, you can reach us at remedialstudiespodcast.tumblr.com. You can reach us at Remedial Studies on Twitter. You can also send us an email at remedialstudiespodcast at gmail.com. We are on iTunes. We are on Google Play. Allegedly, I can't ever actually find us on Google Play. I don't know what that's about. Maybe we should look into that. I'll look into that. (laughs) I think we're also now available on Spotify. I can confirm. I looked us up this afternoon. So that is very exciting. Thank you. It's been just a wonderful experience, even just to hear that you like it or that you listened to it or that you found us. Just thanks. It's been, it's been great. 
Wouldn't change a thing. Maybe some things. <laughs> <laughs> we'll cap it at three. Yeah, even if you're all robots, I still love you. Yes. We hope you have a happy holiday season and a happy new year. And we'll catch you in... In 2018, man. Um, That's crazy. Um, What are we doing for our next episode, my love? Lolita. So if you want to hear us talk about that, uh, you can catch us two Tuesdays from now. Yeah, it's going to be out on, come on, calendar app, the 9th of January. That feels really far away, but it's not. Yeah, it won't feel that far away when I start editing the recording. Uh, No. (laughs) All right. Have a happy holiday, you guys.